Well, good morning, church. I hope that you are ready for a word. But before we get into the word, how many of you know that the God of the word, the God who wrote those words, the God who inspired those timeless, eternal words is a good God? Come on, why don't we put our hands together and thank God that he is a good God, that he is a powerful God, that he's an awesome God, that he is a mighty God, that he is strong in battle, that he's our protector, that he's our advocate, that he's, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, that Jesus is praying for you, is lifting you up. Uh, come on, why don't we lift up our hands right now? Because I sense that we need to remind ourselves of how great our God is. Great God, we come before you right now thanking you for how powerful you are, how mighty you are, how great you are. And God, in your word, you say that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro to see where he might show himself strong to those whose hearts are perfect towards you. And so, God, our hearts are turned towards you. And we ask that you would show yourself strong on our behalf that you would work out situations that we cannot even work out in our, in our own strength, on our own might. I pray, God, for those who are dealing with, with heaviness and heavy weights for this entirety of this week. God, I pray that you would lift the head and may you show up for them. God, even as we open up your word and talk about what it means to build a healthy, good house, God, I pray that you would move upon our hearts, that you would touch us, that you would change us by your word that by even reading your word and hearing it preach, may your spirit do something supernatural in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I'm excited to preach today. I hope you realize this. We have been celebrating our church anniversary. We will be over the course of the next few weeks as well. And we're going to start a series entitled, If You Build It. Now, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, at the top of the chapter, I'm gonna read through about nine verses, and you'll also see this on your screen as well. And this is a familiar passage, but it builds off of something that I think is so important for us to remember as we talk about what type of building, what type of house that God wants us to build in this new season. Genesis chapter 11 starts in verse one. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Verse six says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they began, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. As I mentioned before, we're starting this series called If You Build It. Why don't you go ahead and type that in the comments? It's only four words. If you build it. Now, those of you who are famous movie watchers already know where this phrase comes from. Now, this was a movie that was before my time, but it was in 1989. A man named Kevin Cosner, who's a very popular actor, he starred in this groundbreaking film called Field of Dreams. 
and he starred as this 36-year-old guy named Ray Kinsella. And Ray and his family were living on this farm, and they were feeling as though life was getting ready to pass them by. And Ray feared that he would grow old without accomplishing something great. Now, Ray is out in his field one day, and hears a voice, an audible voice, whispering, If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. And he looks around and he keeps hearing this voice, thinks, thinking his family is playing a joke on him. He keeps hearing this voice and hearing this voice every time he's out in the field. And then he has a vision of a famous baseball player who has long since passed, a man named Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was involved in a scandal in 1819 with the Chicago White Sox. He was banned from playing baseball, even though he was one of the greatest baseball players of that generation. And he had this vision of Shoeless Joe Jackson in the middle of a baseball field that was built in his corn field. Now, as you can tell, this is Kevin Cosner. So he builds this field and miraculously out of the corn field and the brush, these baseball players from the early 1900s come and they play baseball. And the idea of the movie, I won't spoil the, the surprise for you, the twist, that is very important to understanding the phrase, if you build it, he will come. The movie represents ideas about accomplishment and ambition and making sure that your life counts and matters. And the movie is trying to get across this concept that if you are building something, if you build for the right reasons, you will reap and see a harvest of people or you will see something that you desire to see come to pass. But first, you must build it. Before you can walk in your purpose, you must build it. Before you can push forward and accomplish something great, you must first build. And it's really striking to me because this whole concept of building is something that we are in the midst of right now. We're commemorating what has happened in the past, but we're also building for what will be in the future. And this film, this phrase that this film says and is the centerpiece of the entirety of the theme, I wanna lift up and ask this question, what are we building, church? What is it that we are desiring to build? Yes, we are building corporately as a church, but not just that, we're also building individually. There is not a singular person here who is not building something. And when we think about building and the word build, I love the etymology of the word. And one of the roots of the etymology is to be, to exist, to grow. It's the Proto-Germanic root. But another root of the word means to dwell. Type the word dwell in the comments, to dwell. You need to realize something that built into the word build, pun intended, is the idea of dwelling. Whatever you build, you will create the ideal conditions and environment for something to dwell in what you built. And here's what I wanna challenge you with, church. I want you to hear this and remember it that if you have the right building, it will lead to the right dwelling. Let me say it again. Right building leads to right dwelling. And many people desire to do great things for God. 
Many people desire to push and build something that is great for God. Many people desire to build something that is great, that will make their names great. But the problem is they're building in the wrong way. The right building will lead to the right dwelling. I don't know about you, but I want to build and construct systems and places and environments and atmospheres where God himself can dwell in the middle of it. I want to construct a house. I want to construct a people. I want to construct a dwelling place for the almighty God to rest and reside. That means in my relationships, that means in my family, that means in my physical house, that means in my occupation, that means in my calling, that means in my future, that means in my finances. God, you can dwell here. Is anybody else saying, I want God to be able to dwell in the thing that I'm building, if that's you, you have to build the right way. And here's what we're doing. We're lifting up this reality that while it may seem like we are building for the right reasons, too many of us have not been careful enough to realize that we're building like Babel. <laughs> I know that's heavy. Let me, let, me, let me pause here. We're building like Babel. Genesis 11 talks all about this place, this very mythical place called the Tower of Babel. Truth is, it's not necessarily a tower in the way that we would perceive it. Here's a, a um, 3D image of this, right? There's a 3D image of this, and the 3D image of this is more in ziggurat form. So the, the Tower of Babel wasn't necessarily a tower in the way that we would assume that it is. It was a tower in the middle of a city. So they built a city and tried to place a tower in ziggurat form in the middle of it. And this is kind of similar to a religious structure. It's a structure that houses different temples and religious places, but it is also a structure that is intended to be a place in and of itself of worship. So even if there is commerce happening in the middle, even if there are various shops in the middle of the ziggurat, it's also naturally by itself a place of worship. Here's another 3D image of what this looks like. And this is the power of what Babel was attempting to do, attempting to build this great edifice to reach up and make a religious statement to who they perceive to be the gods in heaven. Dr. Andrew George at the University of London a few years ago, he announced on this show called Secrets the existence of a stone tablet that was dated to approximately 600 BC, and it was discovered in Babylon more than a hundred years ago, more than a century ago. And the stone tablet bears ancient writing, which when translated reads, the Ziggurat Temple Tower of the City of Babylon. The Ziggurat Temple Tower. So this is a literal temple. This is a literal tower. This is something that is real. This is something that actually happened according to what archaeologists have told us and discovered, much less what the Bible tells us really happened. And Babel, I'm lifting up Babel because Babel is proof that you can build the wrong way. You know this, right? You can construct a life with the wrong motives. You can construct systems with the wrong intentions. You can build the wrong way. And Babel is actually a signpost and a signal that we must be careful of how we build. So this is what the goal is, church. The goal is to build what God is already blessing instead of asking God to bless what we're building. 
Let me say it again. The goal is to build what God is already blessing instead of asking God to bless what we're building. Isn't it so interesting? People have mentioned the same reality as even in our country. What is one of our of our stereotypical landmark hallmark statements? God bless America, <laughs> right? We're asking God to bless our endeavors, bless the work of our hands. But as many people have asked, when is America going to start blessing God, <laughs> right? When are we actually going to testify to what God says matters in his word? And much in the same way, we can ask God to come down and bless our endeavors, or we can get in line with what God is already blessing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend a day, an hour, a second, much less weeks, months, and years trying to build something that God isn't going to bless. God, I want your blessing right now. So I want to start the right way, not end up in the right place. Amen. Amen. Well, let's fire away here and talk about four questions that you have to ask yourself. Four questions that you have to ask yourself if you want to build the right way. And we're actually going to be contrasting two figures here that really uh, lift up. One lifts up the example of Babel. The other lifts up what I believe is a proper example of what it means to build. So the first question you have to ask yourself, if you want to build something the right way, you have to ask yourself this question. Who gave you the order? <laughs> Who gave you the order? Every single building project has an architect. An architect is someone who is responsible for envisioning the future. The architect can see what's finished in the presence of what's unfinished. The architect has a vision for what will be while he is standing or she is standing on the ground of what is not yet. The architect is tasked with constructing a vision, with giving orders, with showing blueprints, with saying what it should be. And the question is, why did Babel build something to begin with? They built something to begin with, not because they received their orders from God, but because they gave themselves orders. Does that sound familiar? I know nobody in the in the audience today would be guilty of this, but has anyone ever been guilty of giving yourself an order, giving yourself permission to go and do something and buy something and be with somebody that you knew wasn't in God's plan and idea, but you just thought it was a good idea in and of yourself. You gave yourself the orders. You became your own architect. Again, I know I'm talking about somebody else. I'm talking about your neighbor next door, but I'm just saying, does anybody know what I'm talking about? That you potentially perhaps maybe have become your own architect. You become your own guide. Dare I say you become your own God? Who gave you the order to build in the first place? Who gave Babel the order to build? Well, it was a man by the name of Nimrod. In Genesis chapter 10, we see Nimrod is a mighty hunter. And he's also someone who has built great cities. Nimrod has built cities like Nineveh and Rehoboth and Kalah and Rezin. And so what he's saying is now he's instructing the people, let's make ourselves this great city. Let's go and build on our own. I've been so successful in the past. And you know, when you're so successful in the past, you feel like you don't need God anymore. I've, I've achieved enough financial stability. I've achieved enough of my goals. I've, I've risen the ranks in this corporate company. I can do things on my own. So now I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to become my own architect and give my own order. So that's what Nimrod does. But there's another person that should be contrasted when we think of building. Genesis 11, we see what Nimrod says. 
Nimrod says and tells the people, influences them to say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And then in verse four, come, let us build ourselves a city. God didn't tell them to do it. They just did it on their own. You've given yourself your own orders. That's what Nimrod influenced the people to do. But there's another builder in Genesis comes five chapters earlier. I want to contrast Nimrod with Noah and Noah builds in a different way. Notice in verse 13 of Genesis chapter six, it's on your screen. God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of Cyprus. In both instances, you are making something for yourself. The only difference is who told you to do it. And Nimrod felt as though he could build it on his own with the help of the people. And if he decided to give himself his own orders. And for many of us, it's possible for us to become so great at what God gifted us in that you start replacing God as the architect. You start replacing God as the authority. You start telling God what you're going to do before you pray about what you're going to do. You start building with your own specs in mind. You start trying to construct what's most comfortable for you, what gives you the right amount of satisfaction, what lifts your name up and makes you great. You start to think that you can order things on your own. And Nimrod gave his own orders, but here's what he did not realize. And what many of us do not realize is that when God gives the orders, When God gives the vision, God also gives the provision too. (laughs) When God gives the direction, God also clears the path for you to walk in. Listen, I I put it like this. Every project of God carries with it a promise from God. (laughs) Every project of God carries with it a promise from God. You see in Genesis chapter six, a few verses down, what God says to Noah isn't just, hey, go out and build this ark. But he says to him, I will make a covenant with you. I'm going to attach a promise to my instruction. I'm going to attach a promise to this project. And I need you to hear this church, because if you build the way God has called you to build, when God calls you to build it, there's a promise that's attached to it. There's power that's attached to it. There's provision that's attached to it. There's protection that's attached to it. If you do things God's way, you get God's results. And some of us need to take a step back because before we talk about how we build and what we end up building, we need to talk about who told us to build it in the first place and how many of the endeavors that we have are failing, not because we're not gifted and capable, but because we're operating outside of the grace that God has given to us. You ought to find a piece of paper. Listen, you ought to go and find a piece of paper right now. Just reach over and grab a piece of paper, pull out the notes app on your phone, and I want you to type these words. Type these words. God told me to dot, dot, dot. God told me to dot, dot, dot. I want you to draw a line under it, and I want you to write everything that God told you to do. And don't do anything but on that list. Don't do anything else than what God told you to do. Don't walk in anything else that God didn't give you the order to walk in. Don't step out and do something thinking it's faith and it's actually recklessness. No, only do what God told you to do because when it's the project of God, there's a promise, a covenant that's attached to it. And I think we need to take a step back and ask the question, why are we building what we're building? Who told us to build it? And that's the first question I think that's so important for us to process. 
But the second question is equally important because it now gets into what the results will be in the end, right? We have to begin with the end in mind. Look at question two. If the first question is, who gave the order? Well, question two is this, what does success look like? How will we measure and know that we have been successful in this building project? How will we measure and know that we have been successful in the construction of this atmosphere, environment, or relationship, or family? And notice what the Tower of Babel, the people of Babel, their motivation was. This is what success looked like for them. Watch this. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, watch this, so that we may make a name for ourselves. <laughs> what was the intention? What did success look like? We got famous. What did success look like for the people of Babel? Well, our names are spread throughout the world. We make a name for ourselves. This is the dirty little secret of building. See, building isn't just about what. Building is also about the why. Let me put it like this. It's not just about a mission. It's about your motives. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Some of us are not successful, not because God didn't tell us to do it. No, God told us to do it, but our motives are wrong. We have constructed in our hearts an idea and a, and a thought process that says, this will make me great. This will make me successful. This will make me well known. And here's what you have to understand. God won't bless you building for your own success. <laughs> Let me say it again. God will not bless you building for your own success. If you do it just for you and not for God and not for others, God won't bless it. Why? Because success looks like you being lifted up. And God knows that if you're lifted up, God knows that if you get all the attention you want, God knows that if you get all the money you think you deserve, God knows that if you get all the properties that you can own and all the cars that you can drive and all the attention from other people, it'll sink you because you'll think you no longer need him. But God is saying, I want to keep you humble. No, your name doesn't need to be great. Do it for my name and then I'll make you great in the time I think is wisest for you. Are you hearing me, church? You have to understand God won't bless you building for your own success. Do you have self-centered building plans, church? You want to make things great for your name? It's so interesting because we're talking about our church, right? We're talking about our church anniversary in the past and also what we're building as well, right? And I have to preface this statement. Didn't really know I was going to go here, but I'm just going to go with me. I have to preface this statement because you need to know this about me. I do not intentionally preach against things. I'm not a petty preacher. So if I mention something, it is not consciously me trying to be petty or shoot at somebody or subtweet them. I don't do that. I'm trying to preach the word as God has given it to me. I don't want to let any personal things get in the way. But I will tell you a personal story. Over the, the past week or so, I was in this public place and someone struck up a conversation with me, someone who I did not know before I, this particular interaction. And they found out that I was a pastor and they asked about New Dimensions and they were familiar with it. And they said, wow, do you think that you can build New Dimensions back up to what your father did? And again, you know, I, I gave you the disclaimer, right? I'm not a petty preacher, right? I'm not a petty preacher, I promise. And I remember sitting back and I was taken aback by that comment. I was like, wow, that's really interesting to think about. That's pretty bold for you to ask. And perhaps you're thinking the same thing. Let me just tell you this right now. 
Success for me does not look like building on the assignment that God gave my parents. <laughs> I need you to know this about me. I'm not trying to be the next Greg Burns. I'm trying to be the best me, okay? I'm not trying to run the race that God gave them. I, I thank God for them. Without them, I could not exist, but God gave them the anointing to train me up to run the race God called for me to run. And the race that God called for me to run is not a race that will be judged based upon what they've done or based upon what great things have happened in the past or based upon getting back to a human standard of success. If it's about mission and motive, my motive is, am I completing the mission and the work that God gave me to do? I don't care if anybody thinks that it doesn't measure up to what my father did because I'm not going to have to stand before them at the end of time. I'm going to have to stand before the God that gave me the instructions. Look at what Noah says. The Bible says about Noah in, in Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 7, this is my heart in all building. What success look like? This. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. How are things going? Great. Why? Because we're doing everything that God commanded us to do. If we're not doing everything that God commanded us to do, we need to repent and we need to change. But success is not numbers, it's not human acclaim, it's not celebrity status, it's not fame. Wrong motive for building. No, the motive for building is, did we do everything just as God has commanded us? And you gotta relinquish this need to be seen and approved and applauded by people and to make your name great because you can't take any of that with you to eternity. You can't. And I pause here because some of us have the wrong motive. And we've been trying to prove something to other people. And we've been trying to vanquish our haters, fictional or real. We've been trying to prove things to Facebook and social media. We've been trying to show the people who did us wrong that they made a mistake. Look at what I'm able to do now. No, do everything just as God commanded you. That is success. There is nothing else that is more successful than that. So here's question number three here. Question number three tells us, it gives us this idea. It talks about not just how we build, but it also talks about who builds with us. And the question number three is this, who should build with you? Now notice Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. In verse 1, we see that the whole world has one language and a common speech, right? And then verse 4, again, as I've been building out verse 4 and, and talking about various things related to it, it says, of course, that they would build a tower that reaches to the heavens, that we would make a name for ourselves. Watch this. Otherwise, <laughs> we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Notice what's so fascinating about this. The fascinating element of this is that they were afraid of being separated. They were afraid of being isolated. They were afraid of being alone. Hear me, church, because the challenge of building what God commands is isolation. This is the challenge. Not very many people will be present for the building more people will likely be present for the dwelling. 
And here's what we want. We want people to be present for the building. We want people to build with us. We don't want to build in isolation. Notice Noah had to build just by his lonesome and with his family. The covenant that God made with him wasn't just for him. It was for his small circle. And I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between the small circle and the big circle, I think just like you, I'd probably choose the big circle. It feels more comfortable there, right? Who should build with me? All the people. Let me pick and choose all the people who I want. Let me choose the people who are popular. Let me choose the people who will put me on. Let me choose the people who would enhance and advance my network. Let me choose the people who will make my circle bigger. And many of us have been guilty of doing deals that we shouldn't, being in relationships we shouldn't, being around people we shouldn't, being in proximity to people that we shouldn't, because we just want to be big. <laughs> we just want to be with all the people. We don't want to be isolated. I don't want to do it by myself. Building is a lonely endeavor, church. You better hear me. Everybody's not going to be possible. It's not going to be possible for everyone to be here for the building. More people will be here in the dwelling, but you better enjoy the building process. The building process is the place where character is developed, where our hearts are refined, where our motives are tested and challenged. And here's what I've realized about the blessings of God. If you keep your circle appropriately small, if you build with the people God has called you to build with, not everyone you want to. Here's what I have realized and learned. God gives big blessings to small circles. <laughs> God gives big blessings to small circles, church. God placed a covenant connection and commitment to Noah and said that not only you, but your entire family will be blessed. And I don't know about you, but even if everybody in the world reviles me, even if everybody in the world turns their back on me, even if everybody in the world looks at me and says what you're building is foolish, here's what I know, that God will bless my obedience. Here's what I've also realized, church, and you need to hear this. When it comes to people who critique and put you down and complain that you're not in their circle with them, God will bless people through what you said yes to. God will bless people through what you said yes to. And this is why you shouldn't worry about the people who bash you, who tear you down, who talk about you. Here's what I realized. God will give big blessings to small circles so it can't stay in that circle. The same people who bash you will eventually become your beneficiaries. <laughs> the same people who didn't understand why you were speaking about the things you were speaking about will come to you like Nicodemus in the night and ask you questions in the quietness of the moment. Please, please tell me more about this because they'll eventually realize that they needed to listen to what you were saying. Perhaps that's why, perhaps that's why David said in Psalm 23, that thou preparest a table in the presence of my enemies. Perhaps that's why God says that my cup will run over. Perhaps that's why God blesses me exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. Perhaps that's why. Why? Because God desires for the blessings to overflow and not just reach my friends, but also my enemies. The people who bash you might become your beneficiary. So be careful about bashing people because sometimes they're going to be the people that you need. Sometimes the people who bash you are going to be the people that God calls you to bless. God bless not only our endeavors, but God will also break our ego. 
God will say, you know what? I want to test the fact that I bless you. So now bless your enemy. Bless the person who talked bad about you. I'm praying church. Listen, I'm praying church that I'm able to build something that God blesses. Not for me. Not so that I can be lifted up, not so that I can have a bunch of stuff, not so that people can pat me on the back, but so that I can help all the people who talk bad about me so that I can help all the people who God puts in my path and who say, you ain't nothing. You ain't going to amount to nothing. You know what? I pray I get to the point where I can bless you, even though you bash me. I pray I get to the point where I build something that you can dwell into. I pray I get to the point where I'm able to overflow my cup and pour into your cup and bless you just because God calls me to. Is there anybody that's saying, keep my circle small so my blessing can be big. Keep my circle small so I can bless the people who talked about me. Keep my circle small so I can go and put a love offering in the hands of the people that tore me down. Keep my circle small so that I can be increased the right way so I can't hoard it to myself so my heart stays soft so I can be a blessing even to the people that were my enemies. That's what God desires. Keep the circle small so the blessing can be big. And what's so interesting is the covenant that God made with Noah and his family. That covenant caused the opportunity for Nimrod to build so many cities because one man was obedient. You never know, church, that even though it looks like it's small, it has big ramifications. Don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise the small circles. Don't despise the small assignments. God gives big blessings to small circles. There's one more question that we have to ask ourselves, not just who gave the order, not just what does success look like, not just who's going to build with me, but number four, where's your building project taking you, church? Where's it taking you? The, The people of Babel desired to go high. They desired to build a tower up to the heavens. They desired to be lifted up in proximity to God. They desired to be worshipped. They desired to be anointed. They desired to be great. So where's the project taking you? That's what the people of Babel desire. You know what Noah's ark you know what his building project? You know where it took him? A place in Genesis chapter 8 verse 4 called Ararat. Mountains of Ararat. In other words, it's called holy ground, sacred land. And we have to ask this question, church. Does the building that you're doing take you to a place that God didn't call you? Does the building that you're currently undergoing is the what you're trying to construct, what you're trying to lift up, what you're trying to build, what you're trying to expand into. Does it take you to a place that God didn't call you or does it take you to holy ground? I want to challenge you to ask yourself a question. Where's this going? I have to ask myself this question all the time with things that I'm a part of, with with this church. God, where are you taking us? Where's this going? Where are we going? What's happening? And I have to ask this question because my sincere prayer to God is that I don't just want to go to a place that God hasn't called me to. 
I want to go to holy ground. I want to go to sacred land. I want to go to a place of provision where we can build an altar and thank God for what God has done. Listen, you might not see where we're going. You might not see where we'll end up. You might not see the end. You might not know the end from the beginning like God does. But I want you to know that my desire is not so that we can be lifted high in the heavens, but so that we could be on holy ground, on sacred land, where God's presence dwells. And there's a difference. So we have to ask ourselves, where's this taking us? Where's the direction, the current direction that I'm, I'm building for my family? Where's it taking us? Where's this relationship going that is taking up so much of my time? Where's this endeavor going that I've built so much of my time into? Where's, where are my habits leading me? Where are my habits taking me? Where's my ambition taking me? Where's my heart leading me? Where am I going? And church, my challenge to you is not to build anything that takes you to a place that God didn't call you. Only follow after your purpose. Remember, this is the goal, church. The goal is we want to build what God is already blessing instead of asking God to bless what we're building. God, we want to partner with you. We don't just want to move on our own orders, have our own ideas of success, have our own circles of influence and pull from them more than we pull from you. We don't just want to go to any place. We actually want to come into agreement with you, order and honor, to align with you so that we may build what you are already blessing. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge of building church. And I want to challenge you beyond that, to take an inventory this week of the things that you are building, what you are constructing, what atmosphere and environment you're creating, and ask the question, God, where is it going? What are we doing? And God, do I need to start over because you never gave me the order? Do I need to remind myself my why, not just my what and my how? What is success and where is this taking me? God, we thank you for the fact that you have given us a blueprint that you are always giving us tools in which to build upon our purpose. The great foundation that we have in honoring you, our Lord and our Savior, our God, our Messiah. God, we can't even get to building if we don't have that proper foundation. So God, I pray that we would realize that Jesus is truly the chief cornerstone. Christ alone cornerstone. I pray, God, that there would be a surrender in this house, that there would be a surrender from your people to rest on the foundation of what Jesus has created, of what we have the opportunity to partner with, and that is salvation, redemption, transformation. And it can only come by us being honest about the fact that we're building apart from the orders that Jesus has given to us. But God, for those who have that foundation, I pray that we would build the right way, that we would build only when you tell us to, with the right motives, with the people you've called us to, and in the direction you've called us to go. 
May we not build like Babel. What a waste it would be to get to the end of our lives and realize we only built for our own selves, for our own ambition. We wasted our work. God, may we build something that you're already blessing, not asking you to bless retroactively what we've built while disregarding you. Give us courage to say no. Give us courage to separate. Give us courage to start over. Give us courage not to build without you in mind. And God, give new dimensions. Give us tools. Put tools in our hands, God, so that we may build the right way. That we would not forsake the building process. That we not try to skip ahead. But God, that we build slowly, deliberately, as you have called for us to. May we build healthy. And God, may you bless it because we built it the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, church. Amen. Well, I love you so much. Remember, next week we'll be back with our second sermon of If You Build It. I can't wait to get into more about what God is saying about this season of building. I love you so much, and I'll see you next week. Gotta believe it's still an open door if you don't see it Just as long as I know my purpose, I won't lose it, I can't leave it I get knocked down all the time, they know I'm needed, I'm defeated I'm going through changes, through changes Where's grace? No my place Yeah, I made mistakes, but I didn't stay Kept the faith, not the same after everything I've